0: Hello, welcome to the Eagle Tales podcast, a podcast from the Central High School Foundation keeping you connected to the nest through storytelling and original interviews. I'm your host, Josh Busey. Before we get started though, a little bit about the foundation. We were established in 1996 to support present and future Central students and today we are even more committed to preserving the values of a central high school education. The foundation supports the school through many activities like building relationships with alumni, fundraising, student scholarships, teacher classroom grants, and a lot more. And we want to work with you. We are so proud of the accomplishments that our students, staff, and 35,000 alumni achieve every day. Your patronage not only supports Central, but it also strengthens Eagle Nation. Be sure to visit our website to learn more at chsfomaha.org. I am thrilled to introduce our guest for episode seven of Eagle Tales. Stephanie Kurtzuba, who was a 1990 alumna of Central will be joining me shortly. Stephanie is an actor producer with a career that spans film, TV, and stage credits. Her training began at NYU's prestigious Tisch School of the Arts and has taken her around the world to stages and film locations across the globe. She most recently returned from Serbia, where she was filming legendary features The Machine, starring opposite stand-up comedian Bert Kreischer. Stephanie is well-known for her work in two Academy Award-nominated Barton Scorsese films, she was Irene Sheeran in Mr. Scorsese's Gangster Genre Opus, The Irishman, opposite Robert De Niro. She also played Kimmy Belsert in The Wolf of Wall Street, opposite Leonardo DiCaprio. Some of her television credits include Dynasty, Blue Bloods, The Good Wife, The Leftovers, and miniseries Waco, opposite Michael Shannon. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure. Hey, Josh.
0: So I always like to start out our show by allowing our guests to introduce themselves. So Stephanie, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, after
1: you made me sound so fancy with the credits, uh, I'll, I'll introduce myself for real. Hey, I'm i am uh, <laughs> I'm a girl from Nebraska <laughs> who grew up across from the crossroads. I am a, uh, a proud wife and very proud mother, two young boys uh who are very quickly becoming not so young, which is weird because I'm not aging at all. So I love that you gave a shout out to the class of 90,
0: by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: d- despite the fact that I don't, you know, really want people to know how old I am, I love being <laughs> we had the uh, we had the best chant at all of the games because everyone would be like 89 or 92 and we'd be like, 90, 90, 90 90 90.
0: <laughs> So you said you grew up by the Crossroads area. What elementary school and middle school did you go to?
1: Well, I attended St. Margaret Mary's for grade school, and then I switched to Lewis and Clark for, uh, for junior high or middle school, as they call it out here on the East Coast, which I will never get used to.
0: What <laughs> When you were at Central, what were some of the activities that you were involved with? Did you do roadshow, um, drama? What kind of stuff did you do at Central?
1: I did do roadshow a couple of times with some, some friends of mine. I think my sophomore year, I did it with a bunch of my friends from the, I was, I was very active on the pond squad.
0: Oh. You, I
1: don't know. Do y'all still call it the pond squad or is it called the dance team now? Or I think I don't know. dance
0: team. Yep.
1: I mean, that seems more accurate. <laughs> I mean, we did carry, we did carry pom poms, but I think they stayed in the back of my car most of the year. Anyway, I was, uh. Yeah, I did a big, I did a dance number to the pleasure principle with, uh, wow, I'm really dating myself oh, back in the day with all of my friends from the dance team. And uh, my senior year, I did like, I think we sang the Indigo Girls, a whole bunch of us or something like that. Again, dating myself. <laughs> uh, everybody who's too young to know those references can YouTube it. Yeah, I was really involved. I was involved with the play, I guess my my first year and my senior year. I really enjoyed that my senior year. We did Pippin and uh, I was really active with acapella, CHS
0: singers, the newspaper, uh-huh. the register. Yep.
1: The register. I couldn't remember the new, it. yeah, Mr. Garrity and the register. I was a feature writer and uh, I, I remember again, dating myself, working on the, uh, in the computer lab, working on my stories and on those like ancient Macintosh desktops that were so, you know, cutting edge to have those in school at the time. (laughs) Now my children both have their own Chromebooks that are like, like an appendage, you know, (laughs) they know how to use it with no problem at all. So, yeah, I was, I was very active in, um, like I said, in the dance team, my best friend and I uh, were co-captains our senior year. We had probably way more fun than we should have, but uh, we still managed to get all, all our work done and graduate, so...
0: There's that. There you go. There you go. And I, <laughs> I believe your sister also went to Central as well. Is that right?
1: I uh, she did indeed. Kimberly Kurtzuba Borner, who graduated the have year after. I have to give a shout out. Yeah, Kim. She graduated the year after I did. My brother went to prep, so he didn't he didn't go through central.
0: We won't but, talk um, about that. That's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was a tough one in my family. The the loyalties on like the football field. You know. I was Diehard Eagles fan,
0: just to be clear. And Central had some pretty good football teams back when you were there, I'm sure. So, yeah,
1: uh, we sure did. We had um, Calvin,
0: what was Calvin's last name? Calvin Jones.
1: Calvin Jones, who was, I was a homecoming queen and Calvin Jones was homecoming king. So I felt pretty cool. I tell people that, yes, I danced with a, you know, NFL player. We had some amazing football years when I was there.
0: I'm sure you still do. Yeah. Do you remember any uh, teachers or faculty that really had an impact uh, on your time when you were at Central?
1: Oh, yeah. I had a couple of really, actually some really remarkable teachers. I remember, specifically, I absolutely loved Mr. Daly. He was my English teacher. And uh, I think he taught AP English and just a, a remarkable educator and The English department in general, I think, at Central was always really strong. I, of course, loved Mr. Garrity and the experience of being on the newspaper. In fact, when I originally graduated and was trying to declare a major for college, I was convinced that I was
0: going to be a journalist. That was going to be my path forward.
1: And then, yeah, and then things changed.
0: (laughs) Slight divergence. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about what happened after Central. What, What happened?
1: Well, a little bit of background, not to go too deep, but um, my mother was not well from my from my sophomore year through my senior year and beyond. There was a lot of health emergencies. And so I think I always had sort of dreams of getting out of Omaha and sort of going to a bigger city for college. And when I did my, uh, you know, all of my college applications, I got accepted in a, a place in Texas and um, a place in Iowa. And I had thought that I was going to go with one of those schools. And then when push came to shove towards the uh, latter half of the summer before I was supposed to start freshman year, I sort of had this crisis of confidence and I thought I should probably stick closer to Omaha just in the event that I was needed for my mom. And I just I don't think I was quite, quite ready to cut ties. Although it sounds funny, Des Moines is only what like three hours away. (laughs) But was still really, yeah, yeah. no, seems like too far to go at the (laughs) time because of you know there's just a lot going on. So long story short, I ended up at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. Very in very short order, like I had I had the worst classes because like everything was full and like completely picked over. I think I would like signed up for like geology. I was like, what the hell am I? Anyway, <laughs> what um, have I done? I got, yeah, what is like geology, really? But I I arrived in um in Lincoln and and got all settled into my dorm and I think I lasted, Josh, like <laughs> legit. I think I lasted like a month and a half. I, oh, wow. I remember waking up. Well, I remember again. I, it was a you know high school the the latter half of high school for me anyway because of all of these you know personal things that were going on with my mom's health were were so intense and I think that um very taxing I'm sure yeah. yeah it was yeah it was challenging I'm grateful for a great family who who got through it but I I do feel like I made there were a lot of big life decisions that were made in very short order <laughs> like normally I think you know Hopefully, uh, you have the guidance and the people around you and the space, uh, like emotionally and psychologically, to be led through. Like, here are some schools you should look at. Maybe we'll visit a couple of them, and maybe, you know, here's our financial aid package. None of that sort of happened for me because it was all sort of on a back burner with just life, the reality of what we were living through. So, I sort of, you know, made this very rapid decision to bail on, on, uh, the other schools and ended up at UNL and got to UNL and very quickly went, you know, I, I sort of gave up on these other dreams of mine because I felt this, um, onus to be close to home. Mm-hmm. And then I, about a month and a half in to UNL, I had this, uh, I had this secondary epiphany or maybe this was the true epiphany. Actually it was, um, was that life is short and it's, we're not promised anything. So my hesitation in um, going to live my own life because I felt it necessary to stick close to be near my mom, uh, who is towards the end of hers, made me realize that I didn't think that's at all what she would have wanted for me. So I kind of had this light bulb moment. I, I woke up, I took all of my little pictures of all my high school friends off of my cork board, you know, in the dorm, you get your little <laughs> cork board. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't even know that I knew what I was doing. I really think I was sort of on autopilot. I sort of had this light bulb moment. I was like, I'm changing direction. I'm changing it right now. I literally drove to the bursar's office and was like, hi, can I withdraw? And they said, What today's the last day you can get a full refund. i was like, well, that's lucky. <laughs> so I, um, I, uh, I had them refund me i called my father pf hadn't
0: spoken to my father prior to this i did all of this so you withdrew and then talked to your your dad about it
1: seemed seemed like at the time it seemed to make a lot of sense to me to do it in that order to his credit i think he said just get your ass home is all he said um he didn't yell at me he just said get home now and i got home and i said look i want to be an actor." And uh, I didn't think I had the strength to do it. So I had decided that I was going to be a journalist because I really liked that. Isn't that kind of ironic looking back now? Yeah. (laughs) Boy, isn't it? And he said, if you're going to do this, you need to work full time and make sure that you are absolutely prepared for this audition. Because I had decided I had never been to New York City before in my life. But I did a very rudimentary amount of uh, research and I found that Juilliard and New York University and I can't remember what the third school was. We're like the one, two and three positions for actor training in the country. I knew I didn't want to just do a conservatory like Juilliard. I wanted an actual college experience and, uh, you know, all of the uh, liberal arts degree that goes along with it. So I was like, NYU or die. So... I quite literally applied, set up my, you have to audition to
0: get into Tisch uh, School. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So
1: uh, set all that up in short order. And that was probably like October that all of that went down. And I was auditioning in New York City for the first time, maybe like eight or nine weeks later, and um, went and did my audition and. The next day, got a phone call from the school saying, "Yes, you've been accepted academically, and you've been accepted to the acting program." And I uh, that night, I saw my first Broadway show, and two days later, flew home, packed up all
0: my stuff, flew <laughs> back to New York, and moved into my <laughs> dorm. Uh, that's quite a quite a turnaround from never have been to New York to I'm going to move there for, oh, for yeah. college.
1: And you should you should have seen my God, that, that's my father. <laughs> Shout out to Raker Zuba for being an amazing man. Um he he brought me out for the uh for the audition and of course we didn't know anything about the city, so we had uh engaged a travel agent to find us a hotel, we said, okay, so we need to be down near Greenwich Village because we didn't know how to pronounce Can you find us a hotel nearby? And they said, sure. And they set us up at what used to be called the Milford Plaza, which if you don't know is on right on like 45th Street and 8th Avenue. It is the heart of Times Square. Now, this is also 91. So Times Square at this time was literally like there were Broadway theaters, but It was a lot of peep shows and triple X's and that. My poor father, like we arrived at that hotel and I just saw the color drain out of his (laughs) face. Like, am I leaving my daughter here? What is happening? But he um, he put his faith in me and uh, I'm proud to proud to report that, uh,
0: yeah, things did not lead me into those theaters. They led me into legitimate Broadway theaters. Yeah, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. What would you consider to be your first big break of your career?
1: That's a good question because I think careers like mine uh, break in little waves. There are things that I can point to that say this was a break here and this was a break for that. As as you can imagine, everything's interconnected and whom you meet in one project often can lead you to another. But I would say you know, my first Broadway show was a big break. That was The Boy from Oz with Hugh Jackman. And because Hugh Jackman was starring in it, we got a tremendous amount of press that you, you know, that you normally wouldn't get. I mean, Broadway gets a lot of attention, but when you have Wolverine starring in it, like you get even, you get even more, you know, like the cast was like pictures in Vanity Fair. And so, so that was a big, that was a big one for me. Um, But I would say if I had to point to one that was, that felt like a real, um, break it would be landing the role of Kimmy Belzer in The Wolf of Wall Street mostly because I mean Martin Scorsese is like
0: you know <laughs> probably needs the no introduction <laughs> yeah
1: I was gonna say I mean you could probably argue pretty legitimately uh, the best director of his of his generation I may be a little biased <laughs> to be fair that was an interesting uh, inflection point in my career in general because I had primarily made my career up to that point on stage. And I was uh, had just completed a run of my third Broadway show in like January of that year. This was 2012. And I had another one of those lovely epiphanies that seemed to happen for me every several years. Several um, epiphanies, yeah. Yeah, I've had a, had a, had a few. It turned out that uh, after three years of uh, performing in Billy Elliot on Broadway, which was uh, an amazing experience, I had also had two children in the course of back-to-back Broadway shows. So I went from Mary Poppins, where I had my first son, directly into Billy Elliot, where I got pregnant with my second son and had him. And then I was, you know, working full-time, eight shows a week and raising two babies. and. And when Billy Elliot ended, I, I said to my husband, I was like, I really, I really don't want someone else to put my kids to bed. Because my husband's also in the business. Josh is a props master on Broadway. He's um, he's currently the head of props for uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. But I said to him, you know, both of us are gone at night and I'd really like to put my kids to bed. Yeah. yeah. He was like, great. He was working on Spider-Man. That's another whole bunch of stories I can tell you. Yes, Um, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) That was a lot, right? Um, So he said, you know what? I've got this job and we can afford for you to stay home and, and be with the kids. So I said, thank you so much. And within that was like maybe January, February of 2012. And by May, I booked the Wolf of Wall Street it was a nice validation from the universe that I was moving in the right direction. You know, it's very rare for people to be able to sort of play in all kinds of mediums. It's it's really,
0: yeah. That's what I was going to ask about, you know, how do you make that transition from being a stage actor to a setting where there is no audience? You're kind of just, you have to go perform without any kind of feedback.
1: Yeah. It's a, in, entirely different experience from, you know, being in the, in my shoes uh, of w- what it feels like to be on a stage delivering a, a performance versus being on a set and delivering your performance. I can bore you to tears and talk about, I, I get really weird and wonky about this stuff, like <laughs> artistic wonk and we, and we could talk about it for hours, but suffice to say that it's, it is not easy to be a stage actor and then be invited into the world of film and television in the way that I was. So that is why I think besides the exposure of Wolf of Wall Street, that is also why I think it was a huge break because I had the bona fides now. You know, if Martin Scorsese decided I was special enough to be in one of his films, like all of a sudden the, the gates were opened a little more to me. Like, oh, she's not just a Broadway actress. OK, well, we'll we'll see her for this project or that project because the gatekeepers in any industry, as you know, are hold a lot of power.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: A lot of people would like opportunities, but can't seem
0: to like, you know, get past the folks who hold the keys. So when you say say there's a, a television role that comes up, you know, you're making a guest appearance or a recurring appearance. How do you even prepare for something like that? Because you're kind of just diving into something that's already been started. You know, there's already something going on and you're just joining in. How do you do something like that? That's a really good question. You have some understanding about this whole world. I appreciate that.
1: It's very different. In the case of a theatrical production, you have a rehearsal process and you have sometimes two weeks, sometimes four weeks, sometimes six, if you're lucky to be in a rehearsal room with all of your fellow uh, actors and director and sorting out exactly what every moment looks like and where you walk to here and then you pick up the thing. And For television, like you said, especially if you're guesting or you're recurring, you're stepping into a world that's already existed and created and people who are super comfortable uh, already with one another in a work relationship. So, you get invited to set. And if you're lucky, you get one or two or three chances to sort of rehearse the scene on the set. Everyone's, you know, like got curlers in their hair and (laughs) there's people, people milling about, and, you know, you've got all your makeup on, but not your lipstick yet. Cause I want to put that on the last minute. And you, you just sort of commit to whatever it is that you're going to do. And then all this, that's it. There's no Wait, you know, you know, what might be better. Let me try crossing <laughs> over on this slide. People are like, no, great. That's great. Everybody, and then they uh, the director invite or the first assistant director invites uh, the crew to stand and watch and you sort of do it for everybody. And then you get released to go back to get your makeup up finished and get in the costume, whatever. And when you come back, the cameras are in place, the lighting is set and you are filming and it is committed to camera and to film for posterity. Like, that's it. There's no You know, I had an idea about this one line. What do you think <laughs> if I it
0: doesn't exist? So it's a very um
1: the, clo- very the clock is process. ticking,
0: the costs are going. That that kind of uh makes me think, how do you kind of stay calm, even keeled throughout stressful situations like that? <laughs> you fake it till you make it. <laughs>
1: I am still figuring that out. Uh, certainly, experience goes a long way to to making one feel calm in those scenarios. But make no mistake, the stakes are always high. The stakes are always high, even if I, I suspect, even if you are the most seasoned screen actor in the world, the stakes are high. You know, I was lucky enough to be privy during The Irishman. I was there a lot. I was on set. A lot. And I was privy to conversations between the likes of Martin Scorsese and Bob De Niro and Al Pacino and, uh, you know, these 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 absolute masters of their craft, absolute masters who've been doing it literally their entire lives and are considered some of the very best at it. And, you know, these conversations were, you know, Bob saying, Marty, we need to do it again. No, 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 no I, it needs to be better. I need yeah, I have an idea. I can I can do that better. And just pushing and pushing themselves artistically because the stakes are just really high. I mean, partly because I think all of them are just really good at what they do. Yeah, and yeah. not not complacent um, as artists, but also, I mean, they feel it too,
0: as you've mentioned, you've had the opportunity to work with some pretty incredible actors and actresses Robert De Niro, Jamie Foxx, Leonardo DiCaprio. Do you have a favorite that you've worked with? What are some of those experiences (laughs) like you kind of touched on a little bit but I mean what have you learned from from working with some of them? Wow that's
1: I've learned so much. I should actually this is a good idea I should write a book Josh. That'd be a
0: good like coffee table book yes yes we'll put you in (laughs) touch with the the publicist
1: (laughs) yes do we have an alum who's a? yeah can you connect us
0: central (gasps) is connected in many ways i'm sure we probably do
1: that is true there are some pretty high achieving amazing Eagles out there i've learned i've learned various things uh, obviously from various people one of the things that i can think of off the top of my head is um well one quick let me give you one quick story about watching leonardo dicaprio work so once you can get past the piercing glare of his crystal blue eyes and catch a breath again, the thing I learned about working with Leo is he first of all, I assumed that people that are as good as he is are just like sort of it just comes naturally and they don't necessarily have to work at it which I'm sure is true to some degree, but my work with him on Wolf was remarkable because this man, he never stopped. I always, every time I would look over, he was rehearsing, he was running something. He was on dinner breaks outside his trailer with his uh, coach running, running lines. And, And I was so moved by that as a sort of what I consider myself, like a work a day actor. To see a movie star working as hard as I would work.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And, um, yeah, I found, I found it super inspiring. I was like, wow, you know, what is that in the Us magazine stars? They're just like us. Um, it really felt, it really, uh, it made, it gave me a tremendous amount of respect for him because, um, he clearly has it all going on, but he doesn't rest on his laurels. He was there doing the work. I will tell you this about um, I had an incredible time working with uh, Jamie Foxx, something I learned from him, something this is also true that I, I learned this also from Bob and from Joe Pesci as well, watching them work, the looseness that these men have this sort of ease with which they exist on camera is um, something I continue to work on and aspire to, of, you know, higher and higher levels of it. There's just sort of a seamlessness between who they are and the, the, the facility that they have with their own emotions and their own language and their own senses of humor that seamlessly dovetails into their performances. And um, to me, that is that's the ultimate goal to just be able to bring all of me and all of what aspects of me to the work without having to pin it down and know exactly what it's supposed to be so that I can simply
0: exist on screen in a moment and have that kind of freedom. Just a sidebar, I love how you're on not only a first name basis, but even kind of like a nickname or shorthand name, you know, Marty or Bob, like Leo. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. Like, that's so cool.
1: I don't mean I you know what if I heard myself saying stuff like that I would want to punch myself (laughs) but I have to But full disclosure that's what they call themselves and that's how they introduce themselves when you're when you're working with them so it's it feels awkward to you know Marty calls himself Marty and so when he says hey staff I can't be like hello Martin you know it's
0: (laughs) you know that's awesome that is so cool do you prefer it's kind of a two-part question but Is there a specific genre that you prefer to work or maybe enjoy working in the most, either a comedy, a drama, or film, theater, TV? What what are your thoughts?
1: Huh. Well, gosh, there's something to be said for all of them. I, I have to say, I really love comedy. I it's funny because when I graduated from NYU everybody was like, "Oh, you're so funny. That's your that's your path forward. You're going to be in the comedic world." And it's funny because my on-screen career, especially my television stuff has been uh, more dramatic, which is interesting. But I absolutely love comedy. I just was shooting in Serbia. The, in the the spring and the summer, with a a brilliant stand up comic named Bert Kreischer, and uh, this very very broad comedy called The Machine that will be out probably early 2022. And I don't think I have laughed that hard and that often for you know a month and a half straight with this group of people. Again, the stakes are high and everyone's trying to get it right. And there certainly are moments of tension. But there's something about a comedy where when the material is just lighter, there's a sort of, I don't know, breath (laughs) and ease that comes with the work every day. As far as theater versus film and TV, I love both mediums very much, but I feel like I'm still... I spend a lot of my life on stage. Uh, Of course, there's still more to learn always, but I feel like I'm newer to film and TV. So I'm enjoying um, figuring that side of the industry out right now. Although I did just do
0: a play a couple of years ago for the first time in a while, and that was pretty satisfying. So, I mean, you do see actors and actresses kind of go back and forth or, you know, it's kind of a special occasion. Maybe if somebody, a film star, goes and becomes the lead on a Broadway show for... The opening i mean that's that's kind of always something interesting to follow
1: yeah that's i just saw um i went to see to kill a mockingbird on broadway a couple of weeks ago they just reopened and jeff daniels is starring in that and it's what wow he's pretty remarkable but it's really cool it's cool to see a movie star on
0: stage especially when they're as good as he is (laughs) have you done any screenplay writing directing producing outside of the acting
1: I have, and, and it's a fairly, uh, that's a fairly new hat for me. I started about maybe six or so years ago producing some stuff. I created a, um, a digital series, a little short form series that was bought by a website called Scary Mommy. So I, I executive produced that and I was in several of them. I didn't direct any of them, although now I, looking back, I wish that I had. I just didn't have the confidence at the time. And that was really exciting. Those were a lot of fun. And I got to create it with a a really tight group of my girlfriends. So that was an interesting, we were, that was a steep learning curve, but we managed to scale the mountain together. Um, And I'm currently have a show that I am, I am on the producing team. It was my idea. I, you know, created this show and then I put it in the much more capable hands of my uh, writer and (laughs) showrunner, who's a remarkable writer and has helped me sort of realize uh what what my idea my idea could be and uh we're currently working on getting that out and showing it to networks and see what happens hopefully somebody will think it's as great an idea as i do
0: and want to put it on tv i feel like at this point in time now more than ever if it's not on a, a broadcast network or a cable network there's all kinds of streaming services that have the potential to pick something up so i mean i feel like you know, prospects are yeah. pretty good that something that'll happen.
1: Well, thanks. I hope you're right. Yeah, it does feel like that, right? It just feels like there's more gateways to the promised land. I mean, and it seems like I was just flipping through last night. I was like, hmm, what's on Hulu? Hmm, what's on Netflix? Oh, HBO Max. Oh, wait, there's that new Apple Plus TV. Oh, I should, should I get Peacock? You know, like this is is remarkable. You remember when like, when I was growing up, it was like, um, in Omaha, you had uh, Channel Three, Channel Six, and Channel Seven, and then like Channel Twelve if you were into PBS. <laughs> you remember?
0: <laughs> I do, I do. That's actually, if you if you don't mind me asking, I'm sure you're very busy. Are there TV shows and movies and such that you like to watch or that you watch on a somewhat regular basis?
1: Oh. Oh, yes. I'm so like I I just got so into this quirky, weird little show called Dickinson on Apple Plus. Yes. About Emily Dickinson. But it's this sort of like mashup of like modern vernacular and like hip hop music. Wow. It was really cool. I enjoyed that. I mean, I'm definitely on the Ted Lasso and Shit's Creek wagons. Some comedies. Well, the comedies are what I think I'm watching right now because the world feels really, really serious right now. And I think that that's my go to. You know, there's only so much um, news you can watch before you are like want to just crawl inside like a Busby Berkeley musical and disappear. (laughs) I'm trying to think, are there any amazing dramas that I've watched recently? Well, I mean, you know. If you really want to get depressed you should watch Mare of Easttown because it's phenomenal. Great show. Yes. Oh, scenes from a Marriage is it wrecked me. It is so beautiful. That is some of the best acting I have seen in a very long time and that's saying something because there are amazing actors out there everywhere.
0: In some ways there's as a, a viewer watcher there's an overwhelming amount of content out there to consume. It's kind of you have to pick and choose which shows you want to watch. So that's uh, that's good to know what you enjoy watching. Yeah, you,
1: you're right. You do have to be sort of discerning, which is why I kind of bail on things. If it hasn't caught me in the first like episode or two, I'm out. <gasps>
0: Squid Games. Squid Games. Ooh, yes. Very relevant. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are there any female actresses or actor, male actors that you look up to um, that inspire you for your work?
1: Oh, yes, there are. I feel like I find new inspiration in uh, other actors all the time. That That is one of the reasons why I, I don't necessarily have a person that I'm like, this is the person I've always loved and will always watch. Certainly I have those people. Robert Downey Jr. has like always been like North Star. But in terms of, um, you know, just one or two people, I, I might, my influences change all the time because I also think that, the styles change the sitcoms that I grew up watching in the eighties and nineties were multi-cam sort of very presentational. And then everything switched to like single camera and sort of modern family ass. No
0: laugh track. And
1: the, and the, yeah, exactly. And it all, um, if you watch those comedies, like they're very different stylistically in the way that the actors put it over. Um, I think the true this, The same is true of of cinema. Um, Certainly you can look at it, if you're looking at it over a longer timeline, you can look at, you know, the acting style of the amazing actors and actresses of the 40s and 50s. And what, you know, Betty Davis did is different than what Jessica Chastain does. Which is to say they're both can be inspirational within their eras. Um, So I guess that's a long-winded answer to who is inspiring me currently. I was very impressed with um, an actress named Celia Keenan-Bolger, who I just saw play Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. She was remarkable. I also am deeply in love right now with Oscar Isaac, (laughs) which is why I need to see Dune. But yeah, those are are just a few.
0: If you can share... What are some upcoming projects that you have going on?
1: Gosh, I feel like I already shared them. I should have been more mysterious. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the release of The Machine. I'm I'm hopeful that that will uh, do well in the current environment because it, it is so funny. And I'm heading out to L.A. in a couple of weeks for some meetings regarding that project that I told you about that I created. And um, I'm putting a lot of time and energy and focus into that right now in hopes that I can move that needle a little bit uh, because it's it's a very Omaha centric story. Oh, cool. And that's great. We love to hear that. Yeah, it's, you know, my family, my grandparent, my grandmother was born in Omaha, my grandfather immigrated from sicily so i'm i guess technically like third generation omaha and as an artist out here on the on the coast i don't think people realize the amazing stories and the amazing events of the middle of the country <laughs> and so it's always been sort of a dream of mine to be able to shed some light on how special it is where i grew up and where you live had a lot of affection for omaha And uh, I still have, you know, obviously most of my family there. So it's uh, it's important to me to elevate it. So we'll see if we can't do that with this project.
0: Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I know you're supposed to have a class reunion last year, but hopefully next time 2025, you'll be able to come back for a class reunion. Yeah,
1: I hope so, because I was super bummed that um, I do know I haven't been to a single reunion
0: We've got to I get you back. Gotta get you back to one of these central events.
1: I do. I am fortunate that I have a group of girlfriends, um, some of my besties from high school that in the last few years we've started doing this annual girls trip where we meet up. So, you know, at least I've gotten to see some of them. But it sure would be nice to um I wanna check out the new addition to the school and all of the amazing facilities that have been added.
0: Yeah, yeah. The arts and library edition is definitely Usually the, the most requested feature on the tour. Um, so for our listeners, as part of Reunion Weekend, the foundation offers a tour of Central High School on Saturday mornings, on Reunion Weekend only. It's not a every Saturday kind of thing. But that's definitely one of the most requested things as people want to see inside the new Arts and Library Edition, uh, which features a new library, a black box theater, classrooms uh, for art, band, vocal Beautiful space. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, So you'll have to come back sometime. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. I'd love it. I always like to end our show by asking, do you have a favorite central memory that you'd like to share? Oh,
1: I have a lot of very special central memories. um, And I'm sure everybody says sort of the same ones of, you know, the courtyard and um, pep rallies in the morning. Uh, in the courtyard, which are really fun. Early morning dance uh, practices out on the field. You guys have a like a
0: proper field. No, we didn't have. uh, I was going to say things have changed changed a little bit. Uh, The Jocelyn parking lot, the football field, air conditioning, to name a few.
1: (laughs) Wow. Air conditioning. I'm so jealous. But I do remember, I remember uh, CHS Singers was a, it was a huge, um, well, it was just a, uh, one of my favorite things to do and and a huge part of my central career, if you will. And I do remember there was a there is a song um, that, of course, I'm never going to remember now, but it was sort of the signature song that was sung every by every class year after year. Um, oh, it the Lord bless you and keep you. I think is what they it they still
0: called. they still do that. Yep. The, the and it's, a be- it's singers just a beautiful song.
1: And I remember singing that f- towards the end of senior year for some sort of, uh, I guess it was maybe some sort of graduation sort of preparation type of thing. And I just remember standing in the courtyard with the larger class in general, but the singers together and um, just hearing it echo through. And the sentiment of the song is just about keeping... Uh, the you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his light upon you and, you know, be gracious unto you. It's just a beautiful sentiment that that felt important as these, you know, 17 and 18 year olds who've had this collective experience about to say goodbye to one another and hoping, wishing each other well and
0: hoping for the best of everyone's future journeys. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. And best of luck on your future projects.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Once again, I want to extend a big thank you to today's guest, 1990 alumna Stephanie Kurtzuba. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed episode seven of Eagle Tales. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode by emailing us at connect at or you can also tweet us at CHSF Omaha on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for the Central High School Foundation. If you haven’t already, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified when new episodes are released. A complete library of previous episodes can also be found on our website. and again, that’s chsFomaha.org. And remember, near or far, you are always part of the Central High School family. Go Eagles! Go Eagles!